Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast reflecting on the images and sounds that have recently entered our sense organs. Will our bodies use these to construct new and better flying snake babies? We are talking today about the first season of Raised by Wolves, the HBO Max sci-fi series created by Aaron Guzikowski with notable assistance from Ridley Scott. I'm Mark Linton-Meyer, and I have a joke. If you are a male android and your child android does not physically resemble you, Maybe because mother was actually having sexual relations with the My Blood is Milkman. I'm Erica Spires and I fell into the pit. You fell into the pit. We all fell into the pit. Oh, you win, Erica. This is Brian Hurt, and I was raised by, I'm going to say, rabbits? And no guest. No guest. It's just us, everybody. Yes. Why are we doing this topic? Should we admit why we're actually doing this topic? Because a guest ditched us. Who's supposed to come back next week? But, you know, we have a hole to fill. And this is just something that we happen to have already watched. Well, Erica, you were in progress and we made you hurry up and finish. You're the freshest. You have the freshest take on this. I just finished this morning, you guys. Oh, wow. So fresh. So fresh and so clean. And also, Mark, you're going to have to redo that that opening if we don't want any any spoilies. We are going to spoil this. Oh, we're going to spoil it. By saying that my opener was a spoiler, you spoiled it. Mine was just a random sci-fi nonsense. (laughs) You spoiled it. You might be right. Tell us what it's about, Brian. I'm going to read a sentence from one article that we have. The first two statements set it up and the third spoils it, so we'll make a nice pause. And this is actually from the article called Raised by Wolves, Finale Explained by Showrunner. WTF was that? And it's written by Adam Chitwood and Collider, and he writes... This is a story about two androids raising young humans on a foreign planet in order to reboot the human race, which we learn in the first episode. It's a story about the consequences of conflicting religious ideals, which is at least set up in the first episode. Now everyone pause. Go take, what is it, eight hours, ten hours, and go watch the show on HBO Max. It's worth your time. It's better than watching the news. And then to continue, now that everyone's come back to our podcast, And it's a show about an android having sex with a ghost in a machine and giving birth to a snake baby. And that's our podcast. I think that's it. It's, uh, as Mark mentioned, a Ridley Scott. He didn't create it, but he's an executive producer, and this feels very related to the work he has done, both in imagery, tone, and and theme related to the alien. It's okay. You can call it, it's a Ridley Scott joint. It's a Ridley Scott joint. And if you were watching that last episode without a joint, you probably could have used a joint. So... Erica, you just finished it today. Were you forced to watch it just for this podcast? Would you have watched it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I would have watched it anyway. But, you know, partially because of this podcast, we consume things that we just want to consume. And then we consume things that we're supposed to consume based on what our topic is. So I had just kind of fallen out over the last few weeks. We picked it back up. It was hard to pick back up. I would say we came in around episode four or five back in this week and finished the last 
up to episode 10 just this morning. This is one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen on television or maybe in like if it were on a big screen on film. I feel like there are so many of those moments that you could have captured and I would hang on my wall. It's just absolutely stunning. And it's a good thing. I think it's a testament to how stunning it is because boy, did I get bored a lot. I think that the pacing oftentimes was super dragged out. Sometimes it was effective, but a lot of times I just wanted them to pick it up. I feel like they could have told the same story definitely in like five to six episodes rather than 10. But for the most part, the acting was incredible. Mother and father in particular, I was just absolutely stunned by every single time they were on screen. I loved it. I'm glad I watched it and I would have watched it anyway. It was extremely weird. And I like that. So a little more set up just for those who haven't watched it and who have stuck with us this far. It's a holy war on Earth, which has made it terrible and various sects are escaping. And the first group out are two androids, mother and father, who Erica just referenced. And they come with some frozen embryos that they raise on Kepler-22b, a real planet. And they are chased after or also heading to this planet are a group on, is it called Heaven's Ark? This big ship full of this religious sect called the Mithraic. And they are the ones who actually created the androids, though the androids were reprogrammed to be atheists. And it all unfolds on this planet of the various struggles between these two groups over, I think the first episode takes maybe six years to get to the point where this first batch of children, most don't survive, but one does. And then finally, this arc arrives with this religious zealot group. And then it's the interaction between the androids and the children of both groups and the Mithraic religious group. I had a similar feeling to you, Erica, in terms of how much I enjoyed this. I was super appreciative of what was happening, feeling like I don't often get this experience when I'm watching television. At the same time, I felt not so much it was... Slow. Did you say boring? I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, it's all right. Sometimes I was bored. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't say I was bored, but I feel like I was punished a bit. And even when I watch things like Handmaid's Tale, there are moments of humor and release in a way that this show very seldom had. And it often felt like a slog. Sometimes like how Walking Dead felt during its best period. And I would watch it knowing that it was going to be something I was going to appreciate. But man, this kind of goes back to our suffering porn episode early on when we talked about Chernobyl. I, I felt something very similar with this show. And it progressed from being a very literal show with obvious symbolism to being a show that felt like it was maybe only symbolism by the end. And the devolution of the storytelling didn't totally do it for me. I thought the subtle symbolism was better than the obvious symbolism that we got at towards the end of the program. Mark, you love this show. Tell me all about it. I did really like it as a sci-fi tale. And again, we are so spoiled with prestige TV that in any other era, this would be just phenomenal. And when I contrast it with a show that I've mentioned, The 100, which is another kind of post-apocalyptic people on a wilderness planet, but like that has overlaid this teen drama goo. <laughs> that this is just refreshingly free of. So I really appreciated the fresh approach to the characters, how it was in some ways just not going to try to emotionally manipulate you in the way that 90% of shows do. I mean, it had different ways of emotionally manipulating you. It's certainly not free of it, but it did not feel cliche in any way. So I really appreciated it for that. But the other side of that is I feel like it had less emotional resonance for me. 
no matter how beautiful it was, it didn't strike that dark in a way that is pleasing to my depression kind of thing that I've referred to. You know, when I contrasted, I also on our, our the recommendation of Nathan from our Scary Movies episode, I watched The Haunting at Bly Manor, which was flawed, but had similar pacing to this. In other words, a lot of people probably thought it was boring, but it had such a, a strong emotional core to it that you knew who you were rooting for and even the other characters, their emotional arcs. With this, everybody is foreign. <laughs> like Campion, the main child, I guess is this one who's actually being raised by the wolves. The one you're supposed to most identify with, he and the other children, even he is not an ideal protagonist emotionally to bond with. And certainly there's almost nobody else. I definitely wanted to slap him. I definitely yeah. wanted to slap Campion <laughs> exactly. most of the time. And then I was like, he kind of reminds me of like, at first I was like, is he like Atreyu? And then I realized he, yeah, he yes. looked so much like the little girl. Is it Tina Majorino from Waterworld? I was just like, I don't know what it is. And it's, that's not why I wanted to hit him. But I was like, he reminds me of somebody else. But also, he just, he's so smackable. And part of that, I guess, is just because he's a kid who's just acting up. He's like finding himself. But man. I want to really explore kids who Erica wants to slap around. Maybe we could <laughs> have a whole episode of kids you'd like to abuse. Have I talked about that a lot? <laughs> Maybe I have. No, but you're gonna. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, like, I didn't want to just slap Carl. I wanted Carl dead from The Walking Dead. And I hear that eventually happened. I'd quit watching by then. Anyway, you were saying, Mark. <laughs> just a gratuitous spoiler. <laughs> yeah, let's throw this open. I mean, Brian, what did you think about the, I guess, ostensibly, mother is the protagonist. She's the one that, who's the most time is spent on, the one who's most developed, the one who's sort of most interesting. But is, of course, presented as like this foreign, not even human thing. Yeah, what are we supposed to make of this? What is supposed to resonate or is, is part of the appeal that it does not resonate in traditional ways? Yeah, I guess she's the protagonist. I think she and Mother and Marcus are the two most developed characters or the ones that we know the most of. So Marcus is an atheist who has escaped Earth with the Mithraic religious group by having had a facial surgery, he and his wife though he is the more central character in the story, I think, just based on how much time they give him. They are troubling to root for, and not that we're supposed to root for anybody, but I don't know how much we identify with either one of them. And they take great pains to make her feel alien as an android. So however much we might want to have that kinship with her, she is a strange, strange character. I mean, to the point where physically her body, I mean, she raises six children, but she doesn't have breasts. She has these little attachments and raises them all in utero like a dog or a pig, you know, having where they would suckle. It was just so off-putting. You didn't find her to be, I don't know, relatable though? Or I felt definitely by the end, especially, I just felt so deeply for Mother. I really didn't. I was in this moment of, have we all seen uh, the movie Ex Machina? Yeah. So we have a, an android in that who we're never really sure whether she's feeling emotions or if she is acting out emotions for the benefit of those around her. And that movie is pretty clear of what's happening by the end of whether she is or isn't. I always had this sense that she may have just been acting out her emotions for herself sometimes, but I never was totally sure if she was actualized or she was still just running a program in a way that I was worried another shoe was going to drop with her. And I was unwilling to emotionally invest all the way with her. And maybe I was watching it wrong or I missed some cues as a viewer. You were definitely watching it wrong. I think that that's it. <laughs> um <laughs> 
I hear you. I definitely had those moments with mother, but by the end, boy, I don't know, maybe I was just in such awe of the material that she got to perform as an actress and how absolutely stunning she was in that. I kept thinking, I loved the dialogue between her and father when they were just completely sounding like androids. But then something that we consider very human would creep in and then they would be suspicious of it, but they would still have it anyway. You know, everything from mother starting to feel what it's like to be loved rather than just used for a purpose, but to feel like she was actually loved by her creator or trying to be secretive and go off and see her creator in these Sims or father starting to get jealous, but not understanding what jealousy is. I found it delightful in a way that I think in the last couple of episodes, there was some more lightness because we got to see so much development from the two of them. And holy shit, when she thought she was losing the baby because she lost her belly and then she got sick and she keeled over and vomited up this fucking eel, basically, this sea eel. She's so terrified. Like I'm even starting to well up crying just talking about that performance and how she felt like later you could just see on her face when she was holding this thing. She doesn't want to destroy it in a way because it is, she tries to pet it, but she knows it's not of her really. And she wants to kill it, but there's just this whole conflict going on. And then father tries to see it and she's like, no, no, go away. Cause she's embarrassed. Oh boy, did I, I feel for her in those moments. And I was like, wow, somehow they have made this character start as seeming like she's the protagonist and then completely turning her into an antagonist and just a destructive force of nature. And then back into this, I feel more fully realized character. I was reminded of the fears of AI of if you program a uh, an AI to maximize paperclip productions, but you don't put other parameters on it, then eventually it will turn the entire universe into paperclips. It will kill all the humans and turn their bones into paperclips. That this is what was going on with her, that she was programmed to be a mother and lost in the first episode, lost most of her kids. And so when she sees this opportunity, you know, there's an inciting factor of the threat to the, the remaining kid as well. But to then not even like, I'm going to go up and liberate all the children from the Ark and bring them down. But I was only programmed to have six kids. So I'm only going to save the lives of five of them from the Ark and kill everyone else. <laughs> like that is a delicious illustration of that point about artificial intelligence, which, you know, immediately makes you like, oh, this is a machine. This is not, even though there are motherly instincts that you can identify with, taken to extreme... <laughs> Taken this literally, like, that's an interesting twist on what you can and can't identify with. Well, aren't humans the same, though? I mean, there are so many people who can only identify with, oh, this is my family. I care about my family. And I don't care about necessarily this other family that I can't see. Definitely, like, not to get too political, but that's what you can see a lot of times in people, right? Is like, circle the wagons. We got to take care of ours and ours alone. And you saw her change a bit, I think, when she finally, when she met Sue and Sue was trying to take care of her and she said, why are you doing this? You don't know me. I'm not your family. Or why do you care for this child, Paul? You're not actually his mother. I don't know if there was necessarily a change, but she started to at least question who she should and should not care about. And maybe that's what started to cause them to want to destroy this eel baby, because why would they necessarily want to destroy that? Just to save their kids? Or was it to save humanity? I think that can be interpreted different ways. I mean... Because it looks evil. Let's call it the serpent baby, because come on, this is so biblical that what else? The serpent baby who can fly. Who can fly. 
which I remember from Genesis also. <laughs> the serpent's a, of course it levitates. That I did not like. I did not like the flying. Oh, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> and it getting big so fast. Oh my God. I felt like we went from science fiction, speculative fiction into like full on magic. I could justify most of the other things as maybe being possible in life. But to then think that programming flight on an otherwise flightless looking object just didn't make sense to me. Am I wrong? Well, they were so deep into symbolism, it didn't matter what happened. <laughs> I mean, there's this episode of Parks and Recreation where Leslie Nope has to go to this art exhibit and it's called the Human Zoo and all the people were the animals. And someone asked, what's your favorite part? And she said, the heavy handedness. <laughs> and that's kind of how I felt about that last episode. The Their little space shuttle, I forgot what the name of the, their ship is, the little one they went around it, becoming the spermatozoa as it goes into the planet core, the giant egg. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, can we all pretend that we've seen this before? And this is not the first time we've said, oh my gosh, creation on a new planet. This is Adam and Eve all over again. I mean, it was tired when it was done the first time. And I'm not really criticizing so much, in part because this is a short, limited series. At least, I guess there's going to be a season two. No, it's not. There there's might be, be seasons. five seasons. Yeah, five to six. Okay, five seasons. But I, I think it was intended to build to this. It wasn't like they were, this is where they landed after five seasons of Lost and said, hey, let's make a giant sperm and egg. So at least that was their intention going into it, that this is where they were going to land by the last episode. And I was just hoping for something a little bit more interesting than that as a landing point. But I can't complain too much. Yeah, you can. Okay, here are my next 10 complaints. <laughs> I was reading this Collider article also. At first I thought, wow, who is this person who wrote this? And then there's this thing about the showrunner. And this pissed me off a little bit. Basically when she has that dream and she sees that thing and that weird kind of helmet robot head thing and the fuel blood starts gushing out of front of it, kind of the nozzle on the front, what that is, there is actually an android inside of that. It's sort of like a birthing person sort of thing. So their bodies inside the pentagonal, uh, pentagonal bottom half. The top piece is a helmet that goes over the android, and the android then births a circuit out of the nozzle. So that's essentially what it is. It's kind of what you're seeing. That's this this kind of foreshadowing of what's about to happen to her, but she can't quite put it together until the very last moment when it's too late. And that's only from an article, right? There's no way you would know that from what we actually watched. No, but also like, it's kind of like this and it's kind of that. And I don't know. So is it your beef that he is kind of shooting from the hip and yes! it's all this mish, but that really gets into the business part of show business a little bit that this guy is taking meetings with executives who are moving stuff around on him all the time. And if you just get married to one artistic idea, it's going to be nothing but frustration. So I, I think this guy probably has to be a little loose with it. Like kind of represents this if. This is what the suits finally agree on. And, and if they make me be, have it be that, then it's this. So I, I appreciate that he has to be a little fluid with what all this stuff means or what plot lines they decide to get rid of because they couldn't get an actor back or because it would be too expensive to do that or because test markets hated it or whatever. If it had been a real crystal vision of like, this is actually what it all means and I have it written out and it must be that exactly. I would have found that more satisfying, but I also would have been a little shocked if that is actually what had been given to us. The explanation we read in that article is exactly what I expected in terms of, well, I guess it's this or it's this for now, or this is more or less what I meant, but it's, you're right. It raised a chuckle to read that article. I just thought it was a David Lynchian thing, this dream sequence of something like the gross baby in the first David Lynch movie. I mean, 
Yeah, it's frustrating also, you're right, to read some of the things that David Lynch writes because he doesn't want to explain anything. But I feel like that's more satisfying than being like, yeah, so it's kind of this. It's the casualness, I think, of that statement when you're a person who has invested yourself in 10 hours of a slow-moving show that, although beautiful, doesn't quite make sense. And then when you go to read an article, it feels like they're just throwing stuff together. I'm sure they didn't. Would it have been better for you not to have read that? And have been a little bit more perplexed and then have someone explain something to you in a way that felt totally half-assed. Yes. There's enough stuff that's still unexplained and goofy, even just going through the planet thing. Shouldn't that be a long way through the planet? You know, things like that, that there remains things to be explored. And I did like in the article, the creator explaining it is it's like a haunted house and we haven't seen all the rooms yet. I get a very lost vibe to all this that have this hope that they really know what they're doing and this fear that they really don't know what they're doing. And they'll be told, oh, no, we know what we're doing. And then it'll turn out to be you are totally full of shit. And where it finally ends, which the only real hope we have is that things don't go as long as they used to. And they could reasonably be wrapping this up in three seasons in a way that would just be, nope, that's the end and we're done. Whereas... I don't know how many episodes of Lost there were, but there were too many. And I don't know how many seasons there were, but there were too many. Do you get the same feeling that I do of this being like Lost without the melodrama? Or did you feel like there's actually plenty of melodrama here? It's just not quite traditional. And so I'm not focusing in on it as such. There is the chance for that melodrama. You're right, Mark. And I I think I would have liked a little bit more of that. I'm I'm okay with it not being that because this is very, very sci-fi. And I feel like that was for a different audience. Lost was for a different audience. But Lost definitely used a lot of humor and a lot of inspirational type storytelling as well in a way that this really just didn't. And I'm okay most of the time with that. It's just, I think we do need some lightness. Lost also mastered the slow play early on where we would have episode after episode where nothing advanced and we had a lot of backstory and a lot of flashbacks and we had some of that in this and some was actual flashback and some was things we saw in the simulator or memories that were being reconstructed. But when you only have 10 episodes, you do need to keep the story moving forward and it does in a short period of time progress pretty quickly from where it begins to where it ends. Whereas with Lost, I feel like especially in that first season, just nothing happened where we had these episodes and different show and, and a different time. I'm finding that I also maybe am not registering how I watch things, what my emotional reactions are at the moment afterwards. So Erica, you're going very fresh. I watched this a couple weeks ago and I did binge it. I enjoyed it enough that I just wanted to even have more. I didn't feel like it was slow and boring to me, but I also have this since it's something I was sort of binging on my own and didn't come away with it feeling like, like I don't remember any of the music offhand. It's just so many of these shows like Lost, you know, they would have those recurrent themes when, you know, something dramatic is happening that that would stick with you and recur. And I just don't have those emotional resonances, but I felt maybe the same thing. Like, was I laughing that much at Borat? But then I started rewatching it, just the beginning of it. And I was paying attention. I was actively laughing at these things I'd already seen. And I think it might be the same. I think I might have had more more emotional reaction to this. And I just don't remember. So I don't know what to do about that. But (laughs) this is supposed to be about our consumption. No, we need to put a camera on you while you watch. (laughs) I've been going on. YouTube keeps suggesting more things related to the movie The Thing. Because I was doing some research on that into our Scary Movies episode. And so I actually watched a little of last night, 
a very edited reaction shot that somebody, you know, a three-person podcast kind of thing, filmed themselves while having the thing show in a small box and, oh, yeah, so that you could see, like, wow, people are react way more to things than I kind of would expect these middle-aged men to do. And maybe we all do. When the children from the art came on, that was a moment where some storytelling changed. And I think in retrospect, I really started to appreciate that because we did have a new dynamic with how these kids were going to react to Android parents. We had some of them reject them while others accepted them. And I absolutely loved Paul. As much as I wanted to smack Campion, I wanted to adopt Paul as my own. (laughs) He was so freaking cute. And yes, he has quite a change near the end. And I still don't know how I feel about that. But just such a sweet boy trying to help everybody else out and trying to befriend Campion, despite what his father did, I started to get really upset after Marcus had his breakdown and started treating Paul like an abusive father. And it was really surprising. I'm interested to see what you guys thought about this as well. The change in Marcus from being somebody who is absolutely an atheist and wanted to just get away. And eventually, I think their idea was to infiltrate or at least get away and maybe create more atheists. And then all of a sudden, once he believes he has the voice of God in his ear, how quickly one changed when they started calling him your eminence. I don't know that we know this, but the way I watched it, I feel like he was getting a voice in his ears. It doesn't really impact the story one way or the other, but I think it makes his progression as a character a little bit more believable. And given what else is going on on this crazy planet, that would be one of the least crazy things, whether it's Saul or whether it's, you know, we've we've had a lot of false things going on, right? Mother is impregnated, she thinks, and she is impregnated by a serpent. So whether these Mithraic are hearing the voice of Saul or the voice of some other force, some dark force, or whether Saul is that dark force or whatever, we don't know that. But his descent into being power hungry is almost so expected that it's not even that interesting, but his descent into madness, I feel, is a little bit more interesting. And I think it's also tied to the fact that he is pretending to be someone else, right? And this idea of you wear a mask and you become a mask is something that we've seen before. So tie that together with this really stressful, weird situation that he's in. He's intensely dislikable. Oh my God. By the end, but still very believable. I don't feel like he's become a monster so much as a completely monstrous human, if that's even a distinction with the difference. I guess I found him interesting even at the beginning. Is he a nice guy or not? Oh, I've got a, a kid your age on the ship. and But is he being nefarious there? No, it actually turns out <laughs> that he does have a kid on the ship and would have been happy to introduce Campion to him. Oh, but he's actually not the kid's father and he murdered the kid's father. So he definitely doesn't have a But he does... <laughs> It's it's a nice, I do like the dynamic of those characters having taken the identities of somebody else. And are they going to call each other by their fake names? Or are they going to call each other by their real names and trying to retain something of their old identity while actually like having, you know, apparently spending seven years, a regular kid's lifetime's worth with this kid and feeling completely parental about him. Are we going to have any sort of Blade Runner component where we find out that like not all of the Mithraics are actually humans like they think they are? Or are we pretty sure that's not going to be an element? Well, do they bleed blood or do they bleed milk? 
they could be earlier models or different models, I should say. I almost feel like spending time like that frozen where you get to be an AI person, be a, a simulation and experience an extra seven years or whatever of time and develop those relations while you're by, like that almost makes them something that is not human in a way that we recognize it. Yeah. I expected more payoff out of the rapist character. He had such a cool helmet that finally did squish him. That was so cool, though. I liked the pieces on her face. He had such a good voice. I kind of wanted more out of him that he would become a major antagonist instead of just something to be a distraction for a scene or two. They gave him a weapon for a head. I mean, he's he has this mask on that covers him, but it's got these almost thorns coming out in a way that I'm not sure I'd want to put a criminal in no, that thing. No, that was ridiculous. And I was like, he's going to headbutt me. I don't want to stand next to him. <laughs> I felt the same way about that. I was like, this doesn't make any sense to put a criminal in a weaponized. I mean, sure, smash his head, but you don't need those spikes on the outside of him. He did have an amazing voice. I agree with you, Mark. We've talked before about making someone a rapist as a very cheap way of getting an antagonist. And I think with a show that is so dependent on progenation and creating more people, at least it seems like it made sense to do that. Mm-hmm. With him, the fact that he has impregnated one of the older children, but still a child, creates problems that I think the show is equipped to deal with. And it's also very interesting that he is one of the other characters that has made claims to hear the voice of Saul, of their god, but maybe not on, it sounds like before, right, on the ship. And is there something fundamentally different the way that he heard the voice versus how Marcus did? And does it really matter if this god of theirs is of supersedes any kind of morals that worshipers have to do. I was prepared to hate that plot line and I came to appreciate what they were doing with it, even though it made me feel terrible inside. Right. Kind of on that note, do you, and since Brian kind of answered this Mark as well, do you believe that the voice that Otho heard while he was still on the ship in hypersleep is the same sounding or the same voice as what Marcus and then Paul heard. If not, do you think that the voice that Marcus and Paul heard is something that's coming directly from that planet? As we were watching it, Drew said to me, it seems like this planet, there's a lot about this planet we don't yet know, and it seems to play on whatever people want it to be. So like mother did become impregnated, because she has, she actually said she would want to have that. People who want to have a greater destiny start to have that, and then it just very quickly devolves. Even though he's presented and you know perceived by his victim as a rapist, which who does this horrible thing out of power, I feel like the way it was actually presented was just like mother did this completely weird thing of kidnapping, as I said, just the five kids and killing everybody else to fulfill her programming, that he was also in obeying his God, doing this thing, you know, it's more like those people in religious cults that, I guess this is what it's playing on, is that in a religious cult, when somebody's like, oh, God has commanded me to have sex with all the young girls in the village, like, you know, no, the person is just a slimy, (laughs) power-hungry rapist. But like, in this case, I don't know anything about this character. They don't show anything from his point of view Other than you see the resonances in, you know, it's gotta be his only purpose is to set up so that, so Marcus now being talked to by the voice has somebody to sort of warn him of what this is like. And we can say, oh, well, 
the only purpose of the rapist character really, or the main purpose is to show that this is a similar transformation that Marcus is undergoing, you know, to make him something that will be inhuman, that will be unrecognizable to someone who was at least a character you're kind of sympathetic toward when he's introduced at the beginning. And Erica, to answer your own question, because this is, I find it a very interesting question. Do you think there's a continuity there between before getting to the planet and after getting there? I guess this is why I'm starting to think about how human these humans are. And we know that Mother started getting messages from her creator, which started to sound a lot like Soul when she started talking about her creator and her purpose. So I'm wondering, part of me thinks there is a malevolent force on this planet. Well, malevolent towards the people who are inhabiting it, not necessarily towards itself. Like it all, we're all, we're all heroes in our own mind. And one of the things we're we're reading in these articles is that we all know that like, or it was explained that Kepler 22b had had humans on it, not just humans, creatures, right? And then part of the Mithraic texts were, and that technology was taken from Kepler 22b the dark photons, for example, and how they created the necromancers and life forms like that. So they didn't really understand it and all that it meant. Now we're coming back to the origin, possibly the place that's the origin of humanity. So what's the point in bringing them back just to kill them? So yes, I guess the short answer is I think there is some sort of continuity, but I'm not sure what that is. And I think that is actually a really interesting thing to explore as we continue further seasons. This really does make me miss the good old days of only having an article in TV Guide and Entertainment Weekly with a couple hints and tips on what the hell is going on. Because there is quite a bit in what you just said that I did not pick up just from watching this idea. Maybe they were devolved humans or maybe they were evolved something that was already on the planet. I didn't really know. And this idea that the Mithraic started possibly on this planet eons ago, I seem like maybe, maybe, but I to have the showrunner tell me that I'm going to try to act surprised when it's revealed in season two, but I guess I already know that these things are all tied together. I, I wish I didn't have quite all that knowledge at my fingertips, but we do get more continuity, but I feel like it's all in the footnotes and not in the story itself. Not all of it, but too much of the continuity and the things that tie together at the moment are just in the footnotes. So what do we think about the mythology elements here and the use of a more biblical setting than I can remember in other sci-fi. I mean, to me, it's all... The reason that sci-fi and fantasy are packaged together is because they're just other. And the Bible, old-timey talk, that is one of those things that is, you know, it has its leavings in our culture, but is fundamentally foreign. And so it seems like it's pretty fertile ground here, you know, even apart from the particular symbolism of the snake and all that stuff. The core of the planet is a, a giant ovum. And, okay, continue with your fertile ground, Mark. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about this as a sort of sci-fi slash fantasy milieu? Like there's been so many things that imitate Tolkien's landscape or that imitate relatedly sort of the landscape of Greek mythology and those gods. Having a slightly Hebrew, more arid tone to it still seems like a variation off that kind of fantasy setting. I don't know. I don't see the conflict between throwing in advanced technology and other sci-fi stuff in a fantasy setting. Like when things get fantastical enough, like some of the dragons and elves could have lasers and stuff. That doesn't seem weird to me. <laughs> as weird as just having something that connotes the book of Job and things as much as this this does. I thought it was fairly standard 
post-apocalypse, how are we going to keep things going? And, you know, it's on another planet. It's not something, things are not good on Earth, but this is not something where they're trying to get things going again on Earth, like a lot of stories have done. But I don't think it's particularly fresh or unique in that way. I, I think being very specifically biblical is something maybe we haven't seen on screen that much. Um, maybe more in stories. It's hard to say if this would grate on me after a couple more seasons. Maybe it's just my hope that it's a limited series. I'm trying to think if project myself 10 episodes forward to see if I'll be much happier or just feel like chasing good money with bad at a certain point with this program. I think there could be something interesting. In the articles, the showrunners have said, yes, there is a devolved human race. So if that is true, I'm interested to see, is the de-evolution, or you called it just devolution. Is it devolution? I think I've heard it both ways. And whatever way you say, I'm going to agree with. We are Devo. Devo. Okay, so if you go into the pit, do you come back out at like this peak where you were, but like the more evil version of you, and then devolve from there? There's more to this pit than we know. We know that it takes things in and shoots them back out again in a different way. And they seem to be the same. So it'll be interesting. Number one, we can't really tell just with mother and father because they are androids. But with Tally, she came back and Campion sees her as evil. So does that core have something to do with devolving? Is this the pit cemetery theory? Pit cemetery. That's it. Yes. Oh my God. What if that's it? That's season two, maybe season three. We, we learned that. <laughs> I'm so sad Campion is dead. I'm going to throw his body in the pit and hope he comes back much better. (laughs) I think that's the name of this episode, Pit Cemetery. I guess we'll know. I see that The Stand, the new miniseries, is going to come out in December. So that's another like post-apocalyptic, yet biblical, you know, overtly so. It's more revelations, you know, as you would think with apocalyptic than Old Testament, Moses and Abraham having all the kids, that kind of biblical feel that we're getting here. But, you know, who knows? For all the language fans, I'm sure we have all heard de-evolution, but the Webster's College fourth is not having any of it. But I'm pretty sure Beverly Crusher did use that word over and over again in that episode that Gates McFadden directed in Next Gen. (laughs) If enough people use it, it's a word. (laughs) Who is devolving into the Star Trek universe? Uh, I feel like Worf became a proto-Klingon and ah, right. I, I, Picard might have become some sort of marmoset or lemur. <laughs> what can I tell you? And the other parallel thing going on is more biological. And this was gotten at in the articles we read. Also, this idea that there is some genetic exchange or something going on with mother birthing a serpent that isn't quite the same kind of serpent that she was seeded by. And that really parallels Ridley Scott's other works, right? The alien xenomorphs take on the phenotype, the outward traits of whatever they were grown in. So we do get the aliens that look more like a cat that came out of a cat versus the ones that look more like people that come out of people. So there could also be this genetic devolution that's going on as well. And what the serpent creatures are getting out of this, is it some sort of hybrid vigor of matching up their genes with the genes of other species? Or are we evolved from them or seeded by them? I mean, 
there's just there's so many things that you've watched already that you could say are they trying to be like this movie or are they trying to be like that book or are they trying to be like also to truly consume another human like in a relationship you have to make them weaker so that you can then consume who they are at their core right we all know this from our relationships let me posit a potential parallel. We get all these characters that we are trying to identify with, and then they take radical left terms that make them, you know, less identifiable in the case of Marcus, or at least differently identifiable in the case of Mother. Maybe the same will go for the show's creators that we were trying to see this as making some prescient commentary on religious intolerance and war and tribalism and all this stuff. But actually, it's going to turn out to just be a race panic thing. And we're going to find that out in, uh, in season five, that he's hiding his deeply, deeply offensive racial views that are just, that's what the devolution amounts to. Don't quote me on this, but I don't know if things are going to be found out in season five, but I am not going to be finding out anything in season five. The show will be done or will, I will have left it by then. I'm glad we're doing it now. If we are going to do it, there have been other shows, you know, his dark materials had a first season. Erica was reading that at the time and we could have tried to do an episode on that there, but why not wait? Why not wait? There's only probably going to be three seasons. Let's talk about it then. Everybody can have read the books. But this one I thought was going to be more like Westworld, where by the time Westworld finishes its fifth season or whatever it does, like how many people will still be on board or how much will you <laughs> be too hard to remember? There were definitely moments of that where I was thinking of Westworld when I was watching Amanda Collins' performance and thinking about how similar it is to Dolores at times. And then it reminded me how sad I am about the last season <laughs> of Westworld. I, was like, I haven't oh. finished it. Don't spoil it. I'm not spoiling it. I just turned the wheel down. You, Turn if the you wheel started down. watching it, you already know like what I'm talking about. Like the first season was just so freaking good. I think that's also Brian why we love these limited series. It's just like don't ruin a thing that we like so much. I mean, yes, we want more of it. Of course we do, but not if it's going to get worse. We already have enough of that in our own lives. We keep thinking things might get better, and they keep getting worse. So can we just like stop it? Something what I love about. Fargo so much is that it's 10 episodes. It's in the same world and in the same style and they're really tenuously connected. But if those 10 don't do it for you, you there's another season coming and then the next one might, and they're not universally great. And even when it's at its worst, it's usually not that bad, but (laughs) there is something to be said. And we are in a world now where I think that three is sort of the magic number for a successful show. And I don't know that we're going to see something like Game of Thrones that goes five or six seasons anymore. It's probably, it gets too big and too many people are gaining fame doing other things and want to move on to it. So that that might just be for the best 30 episodes might be the thing. It could reprogram Mother and give her a different face and swap in a different actor. Why not? They could do that with the humans in here. It could be you, Mark. I'm gonna. I don't like who this person I switched to. I'm gonna switch to somebody else. Be that. Give Campion a less smackable face, so Erica <laughs> doesn't want to beat up a small child. Guys, it's not just about his face. He's got a shitty attitude. Okay, it's about, it's about his, his hair. hair. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about his hair. Oh God. Also, what is with these mullets? Why always the mullets? Why? It doesn't even make sense. Like, if you do have clippers with you, why wouldn't you shave off your whole fucking hair? Right? If you're in a post, I don't know, what what am I trying to say? Like, um... Things devolve. God, do they ever. No, I'm just thinking, if you're in a post-fashion world, why would you make such a statement with your hair? You just shave it off or let it all go. It just doesn't make sense. 
But isn't that based a little bit in the history of with monks shaving the tops of their heads off? That also made no sense as a hairstyle. And maybe there was some following some kind of religious tract that you feel like you're being more dutiful to your God. And modern Jews still have various restrictions and I'm sure other religious groups too. I mean, sects of Jews do with the payas and the rest of it. So do you think there's something about shaving the sides of your head to help you receive messages through your ears more from soul? I think that that space dodecahedron might've come up, shaved the sides of your heads when they rolled it. And that was it. I don't know. Speaking of that dodecahedron, what the hell? What the hell was that? What the hell was that? Were we going to find that out in season two when it's over and the showrunner does another interview and explains some stuff to us? No, I'm going to guess no. So Erica, I'm glad you brought Westworld up again as a point of comparison, sort of as my final thought on this. Like when I just compare season one of Westworld to season one of this, yes, in both mysteries were revealed characters took different turns than you expected, but there was such an emotional core. Like, I really felt to Dolores that even though she was more (laughs) one-dimensional than Mother, maybe because of that, it was more identifiable. And the the, uh, androids just wanting to be treated with dignity like humans, you know, that's at least something, yes, it's a more cliche thing, but it's something because of that that we can more identify with. So it was just much more satisfying when they're finally are getting to rebel than what happened here, which was just weird. And the fact that, you know, yes, some stuff was still left unexplained, unexplored at the end of season one of Westworld. You didn't remember that so much. Like it was mostly, oh, this thing got resolved. That was so satisfying. Yeah. And, you, you know, very different feeling than the end of this. You have the feeling that they're going to explain some of it rather than just confuse us like David Lynch does. Just build on that a little bit with my final thought. And it, I think it just has to do with an approach to these short shows in general is it's hard to end a first season in a way that makes it completely satisfying and set up future things that are still interesting. And I do think West Wing managed to do that. And if they never made a second season, it stands on its own. West Wing? In a way. I know. West Wing. Yes. So (laughs) Jed Bartlett, you can both infer where I was going with that. The thing about season one of West Wing by Aaron Sorkin it just left, if there was going to be a season two. <laughs> I don't think the showrunners did us any favors by presuming there were going to be more seasons of the show. I think if they had held out to this idea that this might be all there is, they could have done things a little bit differently to make the ending a little bit more satisfying. Not leave so many loose ends the way that I think this begs for more show. Either it begs for more episodes or you are left really feeling like you've just seen something that's somewhat intractable. Were you confused that during the closing credits, though, of the last episode, they all had a dance party? I was really surprised by that, that all got together to groove by the pool. I was so disappointed <laughs> they didn't just have outtakes of all the characters breaking and laughing while they were doing a really serious scene, like all great comedies do. I think this would have just been epic to have all the crack-up scenes at the end of filming this TV show. Have Otho bumping into things. Can't see this goddamn helmet. <laughs> I think the actors they chose must have been really lovely people to play these characters like they did with such depth and also to wear the kind of clothes they had to wear every single day. Like, I know that those things were being washed by wardrobe, but they just look stinky and gross. And those conditions that they were filming in didn't look awesome either. So you got to have people who are just 
real professionals and, and have a good sense of humor to get through that. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, you have uh, one more item on here, Mark, which is RBG versus RBW. Discuss. We could save that for a future episode. That's a whole separate discussion. Thanks, uh, listeners. Thanks you so much, listeners. I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you enjoyed uh, Raised by Wolves if you got the chance to watch it. If not, you're going to be really confused if you just listen to this without watching it. Now is where we tell you to go watch it and then come back and re-listen to the whole podcast (laughs) and have a camera on yourself while you're listening to our podcast you can note your reactions (laughs) bye 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 get more pretty much pop at prettymuchpop.com get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash pretty much pop pretty much pop is part of the partially examined life podcast network and it's also presented by openculture.com Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.